Hello and welcome to the Alan and Overy M&A Insights podcast. I'm Simon Beavis, part of the M&A Insights editorial team. Today we're looking at how finally hydrogen is emerging as a credible alternative to fossil fuels in a wide variety of applications and markets. And we wanted to find out the implications that has on M&A transactions across the world. To help us understand this burgeoning market, I'm delighted to welcome Goran Gallic, a project's energy, natural resources and infrastructure partner from our Perth office in Western Australia. Goran, hi, and thanks for taking part in this podcast. So as I say, hydrogen seems finally to be coming of age. Why now? I think fundamentally because the need for action on climate change is really starting to become recognised as quite urgent. So a key driver there is obviously the Paris Climate Agreement and the UN Sustainable Goals, which have been with us for some time. But in more recent time, we are now seeing regulatory reform that does require transparent disclosure and reporting on climate risk and carbon emissions. We're seeing stakeholder and investor pressure and activism driving accountability on climate strategies and approaches. We're starting to see lenders take positions against funding of traditional fossil fuel businesses such as coal. We are starting to see some of them take similar positions with respect to LNG. And in recent weeks, we've seen courts mandate emission reduction obligations on an international energy corporate. So in the face of all of these forces, there's obviously growing appetite for a viable, clean energy alternative. And hydrogen conveniently ticks a number of boxes in that regard. And I think thanks to its flexibility, one leading renewables company calls it the Swiss army knife of energy. (laughs) But the last 18 months seems to have been a fairly rapid advance in the development of what's been called green hydrogen, as opposed to the old brown and blue hydrogen that people have talked about in the past. What has driven that? I think, Simon, really, it's the push for carbon neutrality. And in that context, green hydrogen is very much the holy grail of that hydrogen trinity of green, blue and brown. The holy grail because it's produced entirely from green and renewable energy sources. And for that reason, many government incentives are geared at promoting investment in green hydrogen in preference to blue and brown. So, for example, in Australia, government funding through ARENA and the Clean Energy Fund is typically restricted to green energy projects only. To some degree, I think it's also been assisted by advances in technology, so advances in scalable solar panels for solar renewable, also in respect of electrolyzer technology. So that obviously assists. That, of course, is not to exclude blue and brown hydrogen opportunities. I think we will see developments in that regard, particularly where carbon capture and storage can be integrated into those projects. But certainly there is a stronger focus on green even at this early stage of hydrogen than I had expected perhaps 18 months ago. Interesting. And just to give us an idea of the scale of this, because some of the projects we're talking about, I know you mentioned one, a couple of big projects in Australia. These are on a vast scale, aren't they? Just to give people an idea. Yeah, correct. And these are all projects that are still on the drawing board, so to speak. But a lot of what we're seeing in this region, and we can talk about it further in the podcast, is really of a hydrogen for export scale, which is one thing in the context of a blue or brown project where the energy is uh, sourced from coal or or natural gas. However, when you are relying on green sourced energy, then that is a significant project footprint. So let's look at how this is all playing out in terms of M&A activity. What kinds of deals are we seeing at the moment? 
I think it's playing out in a number of ways, Simon. I think hydrogen technology is still obviously emerging and quite embryonic. There is obviously therefore a recognition that IP rights are and can be very key to competitive advantage in the future. So even at this early stage, we are seeing a focus on investment in or buyout of smaller players that do control certain IP rights and know-how. We're also seeing joint ventures and cooperation around development of technologies and skills generally that are necessary to deliver. So a good example is the Murray Valley Blended Hydrogen Project between Engie and the Australian Gas Infrastructure Group in Australia. In that particular project, Engie, as a leading hydrogen energy proponent, has joint ventured with a leading gas network infrastructure owner to really deliver what will be probably the world's first blended hydrogen project. We're also seeing very early indications of similar M&A approaches in hydrogen transportation investment, particularly when it comes to ammonia. And this is pretty widespread and we're seeing it in quite a lot of regions, but what markets are actually the most active at the moment, would you say? I think there's a healthy diversity of focus across a number of different markets and where in particular will really depend on the specific technology or project at hand. So for example, where it concerns fuel cell development and mobility, I think we're seeing traditional vehicle manufacturing hubs such as Germany, Japan, Korea, and the US as key theatres. We're seeing a significant focus on green hydrogen um, in continental Europe generally. And again, Germany is seeing amongst the first projects of its type. UK, France, Denmark, and Spain are also jurisdictions of interest. I do think also, and quite importantly, the Middle East and Australia are really emerging as key jurisdictions for hydrogen investment. So Australia's national hydrogen strategy is heavily focused on establishing the nation as a leading exporter of hydrogen globally. And the Middle Eastern jurisdictions have similar ambitions, at least those that have been traditional oil and gas economies. So there are early opportunities for investment in both jurisdictions directly linked to that strategy. And you make the point that we were saying some investment in small players with IP, etc. But the onus seems to be mostly on development of joint ventures, whether that's to do with developing production sites or around technologies. Do you see that changing in, in the coming months? I don't think so, Simon. I think hydrogen development and indeed the path to carbon neutrality is very much a long-term play. So I don't expect to see any sudden or sharp changes to what we're already starting to see in the market. Technology development and investment, I think, will continue to be a key area of focus. I do expect we'll see continued growth in hydrogen transportation and distribution and infrastructure investment over the medium term. I think in the longer term, in the APAC region, particularly consistent with how Japan and Korea and China have traditionally invested in energy and resources projects, we do expect that where they plan to take significant offtake in hydrogen, that they'll likely also seek an equity stake in the related project. So what are the major risks facing investors in this area? I think that's a more difficult question, difficult in the sense that it's very hard to single out a specific risk or group of risks. I think fundamentally they'll be project or investment specific. 
But I think there's some observations that I think are starting to become apparent in the market. I said earlier that hydrogen development is a long-term play. Significant capital is needed to develop the infrastructure to support a hydrogen-focused market and economy. So Bloomberg predict around 11 US trillion dollars needs to be spent by 2050. So at the moment, there's a degree of chicken and egg in the sense that investors might be hesitant to invest in infrastructure that's needed to facilitate hydrogen on a large scale without a guaranteed consumer market. And equally, consumers don't want to commit until that infrastructure is in fact in place. So I think government incentive and policy does have a real key role to play in that regard. And obviously, regulation around the production and distribution of hydrogen is probably still underdeveloped around the world and not at a stage it needs to be to support hydrogen transportation and mobility at the scale needed. So I think investors will need to consider the potential cost impact of regulatory compliance on the projects and investments that they make as the regulatory landscape develops and becomes clearer over time moving forward. Finally, what are the potential prizes for investors? <laughs> That's the hardest of all the questions, although um, <laughs> my, my, my initial response would recall the motto of the special air service, who dares wins, and I think it's very much the case here with hydrogen. And I think markets that have traditionally strong infrastructure around chemical and industrial manufacturing will be well placed to develop as hydrogen hubs servicing a, a broader region, and we're already starting to see the early thought leadership in some jurisdictions being invested on developing exactly that hydrogen hubs to support broader regional applications. Excellent. Goran, we're so grateful for your time this morning. A really interesting briefing. Thanks very much indeed. And thanks for listening. Simon, thank you. It's been a pleasure.